0: Hello, Bridget. So, when
1: interviewing this week's guest and writing her episode, a number of quotations came to mind, all with similar themes. The first is, hope isn't naively denying the problem, it's just relentlessly believing in the existence of a solution. Oh, I love that. I like it too. Another is that when we recover loudly, we contribute to keeping others from dying quietly a step heavier, but also lovely. And the third is that courage does not always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet
0: voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. You'll understand why those specific quotes came to mind when you hear this extended interview with today's guest. We first met Jennifer in 2019 when she reached out to let us know how hearing stories shared on this podcast had comforted her in difficult and lonely times. Today, she offers not only an update on her personal experience, but a critically important reminder of the need for and power of hope. Here is Jennifer giving her voice to depression. Hi.
2: Hi, Terry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we ran your rerun last week, and when I notified you of that, you said that you had an update for us. And first of all, thank you. And secondly, tell us what has changed regarding your mental health journey since we recorded that interview in 2019.
2: Well, I've had a couple different experiences with, uh, with my mental illness since we recorded. Um, first of all, I went through a bit of a mental health crisis and ended up in the emergency room. And... I the the psychiatrist on call actually referred me to repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation and so I underwent that in March of 2020 and it was actually fairly successful now the results only lasted about a month and unfortunately the clinic that I went to doesn't do maintenance TMS Tell
1: me a little bit, if you will, about the
2: experience. What, what is it like? OK, it's a gigantic electromagnetic coil. So it's basically a big magnet that operates on electricity. And they sort of situate it right, right above your skull. And then they put electric current through it. And it goes on and off every few seconds. And, and it kind of um, taps against the skull as it's, as it's working. So it, I, like I, I tell people, it feels a little bit like a woodpecker on your skull. Definitely noticeable. It's not like something you'd fall asleep to, but not painful at all. And then you do that for about half an hour. And I did it five times a week for a month. And it was great. You could do it on your lunch break because there's no after effects for it. And what was the result? It was basically just a lifting of my mood. It really did sort of adjust the chemicals in my brain, and I felt relief for the first time in a long time, and it really gave me hope. And after
1: that, you were able to try another treatment.
2: Yes. This June, I did electroconvulsive therapy, and that one definitely is a much more invasive procedure, because they, 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 they do an IV for anesthetic and for muscle relaxants and, and all that. Jennifer
1: says the results from that treatment were subtle at first.
2: At first, I didn't notice much. It was actually my husband that noticed the difference, that noticed that I seemed to be a little more cheerful and I seemed to be sleeping better.
1: Jennifer had 12 initial treatments scheduled, three a week for a month.
2: But the morning after the 11th treatment, it was like a switch went off and I woke up literally without depression. It was that stunning for me. And I guess that's not a common thing. Usually it happens gradually. But for me, it was quite a stunning transformation. And now it's been about three, four weeks and I'm still doing very well. Tell me what waking up without
1: depression means. What does that feel like?
2: For me, it's, it's more of an absence than a presence. I just woke up and it was gone. And it felt so good. Like someone had literally flicked the switch and turned on the light and turned the light on in my brain. And suddenly that darkness and that dreariness just wasn't there.
1: The darkness and dreariness just wasn't there. The point here, if we may, is not that TMS or ECT or any particular med does or doesn't work, but that something might, and that we are well worth the effort of finding it, even if it's really hard and takes a long while, as it has for Jennifer. What were you able to... Access, enjoy, appreciate that you weren't when you were in your depression?
2: Just enjoying my husband's presence, enjoying things around me. I find in a lot of ways depression makes me very selfish because it's all I can focus on. And so now I'm able to focus on other things. I've actually read a book, like an actual paper book, which is something I haven't been able to do in years. So, yeah, it's given me that back. Hmm. So would you
1: describe what you're feeling as happiness or is it more what could be described as,
2: quote, unquote, normal? I think what a lot of people would call normal, what just people, humans do. They just, I just, I feel okay, I feel good. So, yeah, there's no, there's no euphoria or anything with it. It's just no downs, no no great negatives.
1: I think the absence of depression is wonderful enough. I don't think you have to also have giddiness or, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Right, right, absolutely. So let's go back to before these new things, and we are going to come back to where you are now, but how would you describe your mental health journey?
2: Long, very long. I'm 41 now, and my mental health journey started when I was 12, when I had my first depressed episode. Fortunately, it was not even a year before I got my diagnosis, and then also started on antidepressants at that time. And it's been ongoing. I mean, I have had some good times throughout, but uh, it's been pretty unrelenting, and pretty prohibitive. I mean, there were a lot of things that I just haven't been able to do.
1: Some of those things include finishing college and the ability to work steadily without needing to go on extended sick leave.
2: So it's, it's definitely, definitely cost me. I, I spent probably close to the equivalent of a year in psychiatric hospital of my life, sort of spaced throughout, throughout the time. I haven't had any admissions recently, thankfully, but yeah it's been it's been very ongoing very much so
1: and just so I understand when you say a hospital admission is each one of those related to a suicide attempt or serious ideation Yes, sorry to hear that, and I'm glad you're here so. Your history with medications has also been long and frustrating.
2: According to my current doctor, I have been on, if not every medication, at least every medication family on the market for antidepressants. And even a couple for bipolar, just to try it out and see how it worked.
1: Other than medications and, and now the treatments that you're doing, or were doing, um, what are your other depression management tools what else helps
2: you stay afloat reaching out um, I have an incredibly supportive husband which helps immensely my family is also really supportive which is great um, doing basic things like getting enough sleep and eating regularly helps tremendously I really can't stress that enough like I know when you're depressed, you don't want to eat, but not eating, then your blood sugar gets low, and then you just, it can throw off your mood even more. It is so important, especially I know for me, the sleep as well. If I have a bad night's sleep, my mood is completely off the next day. And I've noticed that even now, even now with with my treatment with uh, electroconvulsive therapy, I still need a good night's sleep, and I still need to eat regularly.
1: When you say your family and your husband are very supportive, I would love to know how they support you because it can be really hard to know what to do for someone and it can be, I think, really difficult to accept support. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about what support looks and feels like.
2: Um, Patience is a big one. Patience that I might not be 100%. And I might not be able to contribute or give 100% at the time. Um, A willingness to listen if I want to talk or just be there as a distraction if I don't. I guess a lack of judgment is a huge one.
1: Were you just lucky to get really supportive people in your life? Or was there some education effort where you had to convince them that this is real uh, explain to them that that idea of listen to me if I feel like talking
2: yeah Um, it's been an ongoing process I know when I was younger my parents weren't always as understanding I think sometimes they got frustrated because especially when I was younger I didn't know how to express my depression and so sometimes I'd express it in inappropriate ways my husband, I've been very lucky with him because he's just always had this knack for just knowing when to be there and how. But yeah, I think overall, I've been very lucky. Given
1: lots of us uh, do not have a support system that um, we would call healthy or reliable, is there anything you have learned through all of your experiences that you can say to somebody listening in terms of two parts asking for what they need and offering what somebody may or may not have the words to ask for?
2: It took me a lot of years to learn to ask. Because like I said, when I was younger, I didn't have the tools. It was just something that I sort of learned through trial and error, unfortunately.
1: Well, let me ask it another way. What do you ask for? Because I don't know that I even know what to ask for.
2: I just ask if they could, if I can have a moment of their time. Sometimes it's physical comfort with my husband, like I need a hug or something. Sometimes it's the ability to just vent without judgment, no matter how ridiculous I sound.
1: I marvel at and respect the ability to ask for what you need. I think that that's difficult under the best of circumstances, and being depressed does not qualify as that. So to be able to say, I just need you to sit with me, I need you to hold me, I need you to listen to me and not talk back... Those are all, I think, amazing skills to have. And I also think they could make a huge difference to somebody.
2: Yes, yes. And also not having the fear, not being like, I don't want to vent because I'll sound quote unquote crazy or I don't want to seem selfish or I don't want to seem weak or whatever. Just I think one of the big things is being able to push past that and say, I need to ask for this anyways, even though it may seem hard or it may be hard to be able to still push forward and ask for it even if you have a little bit of fear about what the response might be. And over the years
1: have you explained to the people you're asking for that support that you don't need them to be experts or have the exact right answer or advice you just need them to shut up and
2: listen sometimes? Right right yes yes and sometimes I'll turn to a loved one and They'll say, I don't know what to do to help. And I'll have to admit, I don't know what, how you could, what you you could do to help either. I just, I just need you here. And I need you to acknowledge that I feel like garbage right now. And sometimes that's enough. Can you explain
1: how it's enough? How being able to safely say, I feel like garbage right now to someone changes or helps you deal with, live with the way you feel?
2: It makes me feel validated. It it gets me out of my head. So I'm not just sitting there ruminating, but actually talking with another human being definitely helps a lot. Okay, since you've had all these experiences,
1: I'm gonna ask you, and again, you know, I'll edit all this If you might say, I don't know, I don't wanna answer that. Um, If you were asked to teach a class on living with depression for a really long time, what are the things you'd most want people to know that you think would help them in their own experience, in their own life, in their own journey?
2: Oh, wow. To have hope. To have hope, that's the biggest thing. And to try. So every day I find that I have to ask myself, how bad do I want this gone? And the answer is really bad, so I've got to work at it. I know that there are, for a lot of people, limitations, such as financial limitations, as far as the help that they can seek. But if there's an opportunity, you have to grab it with both hands. You really do. And that's what I did with these treatments that I've had in the last year, is just having to acknowledge that I am willing to try because I want it gone. You
1: have really tried for decades and I think it would be very easy to throw up your hands and just say, you know what, I'm one of those people nothing works for. And you don't do that. What do you say to yourself? How do you keep hope alive when it would be very easy, especially if you're depressed, to just say, that's it. That was my last effort. I I got nothing left.
2: Sometimes I may not have the wherewithal to sort of stand up and say, okay, I'm gonna try today, today, but maybe I'll have a little more tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow then I can get up and have a shower and eat and and do those basic things that I know I need to do to make me more healthy. And sometimes it's clinging to little glimmers of hope and little things, you know, watching a TV show you like, you know, just finding little bits of a little little ray of sunshine that you can grasp and hold on for dear life.
1: I think that if someone has not experienced depression, that would be a real surprise to hear. And when I first started working at a crisis line, you know, at the end of the call, you ask what the person who hopefully by the end of the call is, is in a different place is planning on doing to keep themselves safe that night. And so often it was watch comedy. Uh, listen to my favorite you know, album or whatever it might be. And you would think, what? You know, how, how could that possibly help? But it does. And is it the distraction? Is it just moving on with your life?
2: Tell me why it helps. I think it's for multiple reasons. I think it is a distraction. I think it gets you out of your head so that you're not obsessing about the misery. It reminds you that there is more than just the depression in the world, because that can be very hard to to believe sometimes
1: and I really like the idea that that can be seeing a show you like or getting back to your knitting you know it doesn't have to be and when my depression's gone I'll be an Olympic athlete or you know I'm going to be the CEO of you know would fly my spaceship to Mars or whatever the heck's going on these days but I love that the little things are enough because they are what life is
2: exactly exactly And it's just the little day-to-day things. And if if you can watch a 30-minute episode of something and then realize that for that 30 minutes, your brain wasn't obsessing over the worst-case scenarios, that's enough for, for today. And I'd call that a victory.
1: When you asked, when I told you we were doing the rerun and you said you had an update, was there a particular message you had in mind that you wanted to communicate?
2: yeah i wanted to let people know that they need to keep hope and it's weird how life altering just the lack of misery has been for me in these past few weeks and i just wanted to share that and i just wanted people to know that it is possible and i know that sometimes maybe you're not ready to hear about it today because The worst of the worst is telling you that this is the way it's always going to be, but that hopefully tomorrow, maybe you can believe it a little bit or maybe the day after. Or maybe
1: the day after. That is the kind of advice and perspective that you could only get from somebody who's been in the bottom of depression's pit, Bridget.
0: Exactly. She so gets it. And that reminder to keep hope. And I'm going to go back to that quote that we opened with, and it's hope isn't naively denying the problem. It's just, and I would say I would take out just, it's relentlessly believing in the existence of a solution. And Jennifer, wow, are you ever the embodiment of looking for solutions and holding on to hope. Thank you so much. You're unbelievably inspiring to me, Jennifer.
1: I also just want to say that we will be linking, uh, there's lots of information, of course, everywhere uh, online, but the Mayo Clinic site has information on both TMS and ECT, just if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about those treatments before perhaps speaking with a therapist or psychiatrist or doctor about them. Thanks for your time again, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing your story and your experience, and thank you, Bridget. Bye.